Good morning. It is great to see you here this morning. It is always a joy to be together. We're thankful to God who has blessed us with yet. I was wondering why I couldn't hear very well. Turns out you need that. Where was I? Good morning. It's so good to see you this morning. Somebody told me this morning, if you keep working at it, you're going to be a preacher one of these days. I'll tell you what, they're not wrong. I'm going to keep working at it. Genesis chapter 4, if you have your Bibles this morning, this will be our final uh, sermon in this text, at least for a while. I can't say we'll never visit Genesis 4 again, but we've been here for three weeks, and it feels like maybe to you we've been parked here for a while. Uh, Here's the deal. Here's the thing. Um, I can try to give you three sermons in one session and talk 100 miles an hour, or I can give you three sermons over three weeks in the same section of Scripture. You didn't choose, but I chose for you. Uh, And so that's why we're still here in Genesis 4. The encouragement, as always, is to see God in the text. And that's what we're always trying to do. We're trying to learn our Heavenly Father. And as we do that, as we work through Genesis chapter 4, he is again front and center, at least he needs to be. Some of the things we've learned about him already is God came and invited Cain and Abel into communion and sacrifice with him. And that is a big deal unto itself. What a blessing for God to invite you into his presence. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And God did that. God came then after... Uh, Cain did not respond to that properly, that invitation, and God rejected Cain and accepted Abel. And then when Cain got angry about the rejection, God came again to Cain and offered him a way back. You'll remember the phrase, if you do well, you'll be accepted. And if you do not, God warned him, sin is crouching outside the door and it will rule over you and you need to master it. Well, Cain did not respond to God's invitation and his encouragement properly, and Cain murdered his brother. And then God came back with questions for Cain. I tell you that because that's four times that God has come to Cain, and twice it's been after Cain has sinned against God. This last time was after he murdered his brother, and the conversation began as we studied last week with God asking Cain a question, and now it continues with Cain's response and further question from God. And so we pick up in verse number 10, God's third question to Cain is, what have you done? As you contemplate that question, try to understand what is involved in sending another soul into eternity, because that's what Cain did. What if that soul had not been prepared? What if Abel wasn't ready to go? Well, see, that doesn't matter because Cain has murdered his brother, and now Abel's soul is in eternity. God's question is, what have you done? It's possible that Cain couldn't fully appreciate that. Thank God Abel was ready to meet his God because Cain has arranged the meeting. It demonstrates more of the high cost of sin. The questions are, again, not for God's benefit, but for Cain's and ultimately for ours. It's, in fact, the same question he asked his mother in Genesis 3 and verse 13. God asked Eve, what have you done? He asked Cain, what have you done? Now, again, 
it's not completely left up to Cain to fully understand because God provides explanation. Notice the second part of verse number 10. God tells Cain the result of his actions. He says to him, the blood of your brother is crying to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. There are three things that stand out, three things we learn from God's words here to Cain. The first of which is this, humanity deserves justice. All of the people in all the world need to know this, and it's found here in Genesis 4. There is an absolute God. There is an absolute judge of all the earth. Humanity is not left to itself. We are not just living here, just getting along, going along, and whatever you do is up to you, and it really doesn't matter. That's actually not the case. There is a judge of all the earth. That's how Abraham refers to God in Genesis 18 and verse 25 when he asks him, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? There is a heavenly courtroom, if you will, and everyone has an appointment to go there. We are so thankful for the message God is sending. His coming back to Cain after the murder is God's way of saying, every person matters to me. This thing was hidden by Cain, but God knows. Everyone matters. That's what, that's what God is saying. It's welcome news in a world where people are abused, people are put into bondage, people are trafficked, and people are murdered. No doubt those people who are suffering such pain and agony, they must wonder, does anyone know? Does anyone care? What will happen to me? Will it be glossed over? Will the earth cover my blood? Will it be hidden and no one say a word? How many people throughout history have met with horrible fates only to have their deaths covered up or hidden? How many people have lived their entire lives and never had justice? No, God's coming to Cain says to all, you matter, and what happens to you matters to me. Secondly, God coming to Cain after he murdered his brother says, no one can truly hide what they have done to another person. All over the world, there are hidden graves. There are secrets taken to the grave. There are, the grave buries and hides the bones and covers the crimes and atrocities against man. And people hide and people cover up and people get by, but nothing can be hidden from God. In Psalm 139, beginning in verse number 7, David extols the presence of God with these words. He asks, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, the light about me is night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Sometimes the only comfort in life is to know that God sees me, that God knows my plight, that God is aware of what is happening to me, and God will hold men accountable for their actions. That's the third thing. Not only does God see it, God will adjudicate. Romans 12 and verse number 19, Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and don't you love this last part? I will repay, says the Lord. 
Everyone will give an account, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether it be good or evil. God is telling the first murderer, you took your brother's life, but I know what you did in the field. I asked you where he was, and you said you didn't know. You've shed his blood, and it's crying, it's calling, it's shouting to me from the ground. Job pleaded for this very thing, that suffering and agony through which he is going, partly which is made exceedingly worse by his inability to communicate with God and to get an answer from him. It led Job to say these words in chapter 16 and verse number 16. Job said, my face is red with weeping, and on my eyelids is deep darkness, although there is no violence in my hand, and my prayer is pure, O earth, cover not my blood, and let not my cry find no resting place. No, the truth is no one's blood will go unheard. No evil deed will go unseen because nothing can be hidden from God. God will bring to eternal justice those who escape justice on earth. God did punish Cain. The punishment due is because of the life that Cain took. What God says is the blood of your brother cries out to me. He was made in the image of God, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and verse 27. God made man after his image, not like the animals, not like a, the, the, the rest of creation where he just spoke and it stood fast. No, he seems to have taken very careful attention to man after speaking the creation into existence. The Bible takes the time to tell us that God formed man from the dust of the ground. God breathed into man the breath of life, and when it came to woman, he took the man and put him to sleep, and from his side he took a rib and built the woman. No, they are made in the image of God. This punishment is because all human life is sacred. And all human life is sacred all the time. You see, you didn't kill an ant. You didn't swat a fly. You didn't kill a beast. Human life is sacred, and no one has the right to murder another human being. In fact, it's not a recent occurrence. Human life has been sacred since Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and it will always be sacred. Before the flood, it seems that God did the judging God came to Adam and Eve when they sinned, and God came to Cain when he murdered his brother, and God will punish Cain. But after the flood, God will delegate that judgment to men. Now, here's something you should know, and I need you to know it now, because we're still very early in our relationship, and we don't know each other as well as we will one day. It is my, my, my hope, my plan to stay and preach for decades and decades in this very place. I look forward to it. And by then, we'll know each other so well, we'll finish each other's sentences. We're just not there yet. And so it's necessary for me to tell you these things that follow. You, you won't hear me say things from a political position. You won't. My charge is to preach the Word, and that's what I'll do. Nothing else is on my mind, and certainly that's not my thing. So when you hear me say human life is sacred and deserves justice, and it will one day get it. You need to know that's from a biblical position, not a political one. 
Oh, every time human life is touched in Scripture, it's sacred. After the flood in Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 6, God will delegate the responsibility of adjudication to men. We, we call it law and order, government. God will do that. But the reason for that is, it's stated again, Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he him. I tell you that because when we talk about the capital punishment, it's not a political position, not one I'm taking. No, it's a biblical position. Human life is sacred, period. And if you murder another human being, you forfeit your right to live. That's in every section of Scripture. That's in Genesis 9 and verse number 6. It begins in 1, 26, 27, stated in Genesis chapter 4, you murdered your brother, his blood is cried. But it's part of the law of Moses, Exodus 20 and verse number 13. It's part of the new covenant of Christ, Romans 13, 1 to 5. Sometimes people get lost in the discussion. They get bogged down. Well, what? Men don't always get it right. Well, that's true. And if men fail to execute justice, God will judge them. See point number one. God sees, God knows, and God will adjudicate. But listen, that's going to be true about a myriad of discussions. We talk about the equality of men. That won't be from a social position. That'll be from Genesis 1, 26, 27. It goes without saying, but I'll say it. The equality of all men includes the equality of all women. That's not a political position. That's a biblical position. But that would be true of the marriage design God had, Genesis 2, 18 to 25. The objective nature of truth and morals, the demand for children to obey their parents. None of these things are ever going to be motivated from me by any position other than biblical. I hope you share the same. They aren't social constructs. They're biblical teaching from God himself. Human life is sacred and deserves justice, and one day it will get it. God coming to the first murderer tells us that. But then secondly, God protects Cain. Now, I said God's punished Cain, and he does. If you read verse number 11 and verse number 12, the Bible says, now you are cursed. That's what we had read. You're cursed from the ground which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you, and you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. That's God's punishment for Cain. One of the great things about the Bible is nearly every time you're reading it, you're jumping into a conversation. If you just step back and listen, you just watch those people talk. And you listen to what they say. And what you'll find is this backwards and forwards kind of idea. I'm just standing there listening. And as I stand and listen to God talk to Cain, Cain has a response. And not surprisingly, Cain's thoughts are about himself. Notice verse number 13. Upon hearing of his punishment, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. In fact, he says, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I'll be hidden, and I'll be a vagrant and a wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. That's God's, that's Cain's response. His first thought is about himself. My, great, my punishment is greater than I can bear. His second thought is about God. God, you are unfair. You've driven me this day from the face of the ground. And from your face I will be hidden. God, you have been excessive and severe. I don't deserve this. 
reminiscent of Adam. The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit and I did eat. Thirdly, Cain is concerned about others and again himself. Whoever finds me will kill me. Let me ask you a question. What punishment should the first murderer receive? What should be the punishment for murdering your brother? Talk about Matthew 7, 12. Whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do you even so to them. Is that what he deserves? Go back and again read verse number 8 and notice what he did. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. If there is a first murderer, there means there was someone who was murdered. While people are so busy defending Cain, begs the question, what about Abel? What justice does he deserve then? He spoke with his brother. He feigned friendliness. Let's go to the field. Imagine they've been in the field before. No threat in going to the field. We've been here probably many times. Come on, let's go to the field. He feigned friendliness. When they got to the field, can you imagine Abel? Walk a mile in his shoes for just a moment. All you did was walk to the field with your brother. And what happened? He rose up against you. He attacked you. Listen, the attack didn't end in pain. It ended in your death. He murdered you. Did Abel have a wife? Did Abel have children? Somebody say, well, Eric, you're adding to the Scriptures. Don't do that. It doesn't say, and that's absolutely right. It does not say. But I tell you this, we lament either way. Because if he did have a wife and children, we would lament his widow and his, his fatherless children now. Well, if he didn't have a wife and children, well, then we'd lament his murder before he could. Amazingly, the murderer is feigning himself the victim and now accusing God of being too strict and harsh in the punishment, and sadly, a great many people agree with him. But while we're there, why don't you read verse 9 as well? Because this happens after the murder. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Don't you? Am I my brother's keeper? First of all, he lied. He did know. Amazing thing about God and his creation is he created us with a body. You got to dispose of the body that you just murdered. You don't know where you put it? <laughs> Not only is there a body, there's blood evidence. Have you watched forensic files and what they can do with DNA? How did we begin? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. There's forensic evidence of this murder. You did something with the body and the blood. You know where he is. You lied. Secondly, am I my brother's keeper? Sadly, no, you're your brother's murderer. How cold. Where's the remorse? Where's the sorrow? What did it take for this man to murder his own brother and then tell God, I don't know what he, where he is. Is it my job to keep him? The word keep here is the same as the word in Genesis 2.17. It's what Adam was to do to the garden. He was to dress it and keep it. He was the guardian. Yeah, you should have been watching over your brother, but you didn't. You killed him. Here's the question. What would God do now? 
You know, as you read through the Bible, a lot of times people's ideas and thoughts about God don't come from the book. They come from something they've heard, something they've imagined, something they felt. Why not just read it? What does he say? You know, the way people talk about God, shouldn't he be killing Cain now? And shouldn't it have already been the case that the punishment should have been so severe that we would have been talking about how bad he treated? But no, none of that happens. In fact, God did speak to Cain. It's interesting what he didn't say. First of all, he didn't correct his accusations. He didn't chide him for his behavior. He didn't critique his estimation of his potential fate. God did speak to Cain. What did he do? Verse number 15, the Lord responds to Cain's accusations or Cain's statement. And the first thing he does is he assured him. God said, whoever takes vengeance on Cain, vengeance will be taken sevenfold on that individual. I assure you. Secondly, he comforted him. I will put a mark on you. I will put a sign on you. Some people see in the mark punishment. It's actually protection. That's the third thing he did. I'll protect you so that no one finding you will slay you. There is some way of designation that when you see Cain, you would know not to kill him. And God says, I'll do that for you. While God is about law and order, and while there is justice to be meted out, God won't support vigilantism. He won't support people taking it into their own hands. And so he says, I'll protect you from them. They won't get you. God's actions to Cain will direct and demand other people not to kill him. And that's after Cain's statement. God is using Cain. When we read the New Testament authors, they use Cain and Abel. And they teach us things about Cain and Abel for New Testament Christians. It's one more reason of the many that could be enumerated to study the Old Testament. One more reason, and that is the New Testament writers so frequently use the Old Testament faithful as examples and sometimes the unfaithful as examples. Emulate the one, don't follow in the footsteps of the other. There are two very significant and important areas of our lives with God where the New Testament writers use Cain and Abel as models and examples. The first of which is the subject of faith. Abel appears in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse number 4 where the Bible says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he had witness, born to him that he was righteous, God bearing witness in respect of his gifts, and through it, though he being dead, yet speaketh. There are several things we learn about faith in the New Testament, and Abel is an example and model of faith. One of the things is we learn that faith comes by hearing. It's why we know he heard the word of God, because that's the way faith comes. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But secondly, we also learn that faith is based on evidence. There is always assurance and reason, rationality behind God's faith. In order to have faith in God, because you have his word, you have evidence. That's Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We reason from that which we see to that which we don't see. 
by faith we understand that the world was made by things that do not appear. We learn that from faith. Abel had faith, but then thirdly, faith trusts God and does what he says. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. That faith moves in response to God's grace and God's instruction. If God says, march around the walls, you march around the walls. If, if God says, build a boat, you build a boat. Faith trusts God and does what he says. Abel did that. We also learn that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 and verse number 6. The New Testament writer wanted to hold up a model and an example of faith. He chose Abel for us to begin our understanding of that. The second area of life that's exceedingly important is the subject of love. And I don't know if there are two things more important in our relationship with God than faith and love. In 1 John chapter 3, verse number 11 beginning, John, who is referred to as the apostle of love, small wonder we find him talking about love then. But on this occasion, he holds Cain up as an example, and he says, for this is the message which you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, but not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not abided in death, whosoever hated his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You and I, as New Testament Christians, are charged to love the brethren. When we use that word brother or brethren, we do hopefully appreciate that in a very real and immediate sense, our brethren would be the very ones we worship with in the building where we are this morning. Those are our brethren. Absolutely, that's right. But I trust that we would expand our thoughts just slightly to appreciate that our brethren are other Christians in other buildings this morning worshiping our Lord in the same way. Those who comprise the New Testament body of Christ, wherever they are assembling this morning within our local area, would also be our brethren. But then we would expand that further to appreciate that all over our country, they are members of the Lord's body worshiping this day in spirit and in truth, and those are our brethren. But then we'd have to appreciate that our country is not the world. And so all over the world, there are members of the Lord's body worshiping, and wherever they are, they are our brethren. When we say love the brethren, that's the emphasis of Scripture. In fact, it's noteworthy. Many years ago, I was asked to preach a sermon, and uh, it was about working together, that God's people could work together. And just as a, a, a sidebar, it had the emphasis of people of different ethnicities within the body of Christ can work together. And it sounded like a really good sermon, sounded like a really good title rather, until you just peel the layers back just a little bit. Listen, brothers and sisters, that is exceedingly low <laughs> for our expectations, exceedingly low. You can work together with people you don't like. In fact, you probably do it every day. 
You can work with people and doing evil. Uh, you can work together. Listen, that's not the bar. The bar for God's people is so much higher than that. You know, at some point, John will say these words. With regards to loving the brethren, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the standard. That's way past working together. I am to love you to the point of death, not yours, mine, and be willing to lay down my life for you. That's the high standard of loving the brethren. John says, not like Cain, who murdered his brother. Cain's murder of Abel was not self-preservation. It was not self-defense. It was premeditated murder. And why did he do it? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. But it might be the case that you and I could reason very quickly, well, I'm never going to murder anybody. Trust that would be true. But that's not exactly what John says. John says, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. It's the same way the Scripture uses the phraseology about a man looking upon a woman to lust after her. He's committed adultery already. Murder begins in the heart to hate, to regard with ill will. And if you do that to the brethren, you're a murderer. There are some people who talk about the Lord's church so despairingly, I cannot stand to be in their presence for very long. I am bothered, agitated, and moved quite literally by people who run down the Lord's church. I don't have any time for Christians. Brother, you need a new clock then. I don't have any use for the church. I don't have any use for those people. Well, you need, listen, you need to recalculate what you call useful. I just don't want to be around them. I just don't like them. I just can't get, A, you're one of them. B, you're supposed to love them to the point of laying down your life for them. Which ones? The brethren. Failure to do this is to emulate Cain. It's to abide in darkness. It's to abide in death. Another aspect of love is if we don't love our brothers, we cannot love God. Cain didn't love his brother, and Cain didn't love God, and that's the problem. In 1 John 4 and verse number 20, John says, If a man say, I love God, and hated his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen cannot love God whom he hath not seen. God says, if you don't love your brethren, you are a liar. Somebody might say, well, Eric, don't you call me a liar. And I would tell you, I didn't. John did. And John got his information from the Holy Spirit. And so then God did. Listen, uh, we have to love the brethren. Cain didn't do that. And God judged him for it. The point of Scripture I'm going to contend, I trust for as long as we're together, is to learn God. That's the point. God invited Cain and Abel into communion with him. 
He accepted the one by faith, and that is so encouraging to know that if I respond in faith, God will accept me. And he did. Abel stands as one who was accepted by the God of heaven for his faith. At the exact same time, God rejected the one who was of the evil one. He rejected him because his deeds were evil. But even then, God didn't write him off and say, you had one shot. No, a thousand times no. He came to Cain after the sin. If you do well, you'll be accepted. He warned Cain, if you don't, sin is lying outside your door, and it'll, it'll take advantage of you. It will subdue you. You've got to master it. He gave chance of Cain, Cain a chance to make things right, and after that, Cain sinned and murdered his brother, and God came back to Cain. Where's your brother? God punished Cain. His blood is crying out to me. When Cain thought the punishment was too great, God protected Cain from anybody else doing him harm. It's important. There might be those, and you just never know them. Stand up and preach to an audience of people. You just never know anybody's past. Suppose there was one who committed murder. Suppose there was somebody who acted just like Cain. Are they hopeless? Is there nothing they can do? No. No, they're not hopeless, and that's the point. God will have you back no matter what you've done, no matter how often you've done it. No matter how steep you got into it, if you will repent and come to Jesus, God will forgive. God has already proven that. He forgave Saul of Tarsus. There's no sin so bad that it will, if you don't repent, if you'll repent, God will forgive. There's nothing. As we dismissed this morning, somebody came out to me and, and uh, they said, you know, and also, and so I thank you for listening so well that you could add to the sermon, because he did, and I'll share with you what he added. He said, you know, and the blood of Jesus speaks better things than Abel. I did what you're doing. Amen and amen. We speak of Abel for his faith. His blood continues to speak. There's something better, and it's the blood of Jesus. And friends, it will cleanse every sin you have this morning if you will but come to him. Would you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Will you change your heart and your mind? Don't be like Cain and let God, let God in. Let God's way have its way. Would you change your heart and your mind? And will you confess the name of Jesus and be immersed in water, baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? And God, through Jesus and that blood, will cleanse every sin, wash every stain, make you a new person. We've gone over three questions. Why are you angry? You should answer that. If you don't know God, you'll probably be angry with God. Where is your brother? You should probably answer that. Not because there's a lost sheep wandering, although that's important. Abel is not a lost sheep. 
He was killed by his brother. And if you've done your brother or sister harm or wrong, God will want to know where they are. And what have you done? God says the blood is crying from the ground. Justice must be served. Thank God he sees. Thank God he knows. And you matter to him. Friends, if we can help you in any way this morning, if you are needing prayers of the saints, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.